All right, good to see you all. Uh, listen, our Ventura campus is going to be joining us for the sermon. We're one church with them. Let's let them know we love them so much. Uh, we are going to finish the book of Revelation today. Finishing the book of Revelation, we've been in it for nine months and one week today, and we're finishing, which for us is an astounding pace with the help of the Holy Spirit. So Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. We've gotten through verse 5 of chapter 22 in our previous study, so we're just going to go from verse 6 to the end. The title of this message is Come Lord Jesus, which is really the prayer. It's the cry of the chapter. It's a fitting way to end. We'll talk about what that means and how we're to live in light of that. As you're opening up to Revelation chapter 22, and before we get into it, I want to give you just for a moment a little sense of where we're going as a church, because we're finishing Revelation, so what are we going to study next? Next week, we will be starting the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is a wonderful book, not that there's any bad ones in the Bible, but 1 Thessalonians is a good one. It's a short little book, short little chapters, only five chapters long. I want us to be prepared for this as we head into it as a church. We'll be studying it just for the summer. So here's what we're going to do as a church this week along with our Ventura campus. Each one of us is going to read one chapter of the book of Thessalonians every day, right? There's five chapters, so Monday through Friday, okay, that's our, our Bible reading plan for the week. We're going to read through the book of First Thessalonians. This is going to allow you to get familiar with the material so that you'll gain more from the teachings, you'll gain more from the sermons. It's going to allow the Holy Spirit begin to speak to your heart and work in your hearts, and you're going to be blessed as you read through it. For some of you, this will be brand new. You don't have a regular Bible reading gig. This is your opportunity. We'll all be doing it together. The Lord will be working in us individually and corporately as we do that. So again, really short chapters. They just take you a couple minutes each one to read. So tomorrow you start with 1 Thessalonians 1, Tuesday chapter 2, so on and so forth. I want to give you a little maybe help in your thought process of, of how to approach the text and read the Bible. So take notes on this, okay? This is what I do in general when I read the Bible. When you read through chapter 1, I want you to be thinking and look for and make note of the following four things. They all start with C because I'm a preacher, right? Look for something cool, something concrete, something convicting, and something about Christ. Okay, now this is helpful stuff. When you read the Bible, you should look for something cool because the Bible is full of cool, awesome stuff. And you know, sometimes we're just, it, it's lost on us. We just kind of read and we just go through the motions, but... The word of God is like precious gold. It's God's word to us. And so we ought to approach it with those eyes and say, Lord, show me something really cool, something wonderful in this first chapter. And then when you do that, make note of it, right? Write down, well, this is something that was cool in chapter one and for the other chapters. Then you're going to look for something concrete. Here's the thing about the word of God. There's, There's a lot of stuff when we read it that we don't understand, And it kind of leaves us wondering, we're like, I don't know what that meant. Sometimes we can get stuck in the stuff that we don't know or we don't understand, but there's a whole bunch in there that's pretty darn crystal clear. So make note of that. You're reading through the book and you're like, okay, this is concrete. There's some stuff I didn't quite get and maybe we'll get to it in the sermons or some other time, but this is is clear revelation from God. I, I get this. Make note of that. And then something convicting. 
Because the word of God ought to have a transformative work in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's always going to mean responding to the word with repentance, with obedience. So something convicting means you're reading through it and you're like, oh gosh, my life isn't really in line with that. I'm not really living that out. Maybe it's a call to generosity. I'm not really living that out. Maybe it's a call to the nations. I'm not doing that. Maybe it's talking about sexual purity and you know you're not there. Maybe whatever it is. Something convicting. And then be prepared to repent. And then always, always, always look for something about Christ. Because Jesus said the whole book was about him. And so in any passage that we read, there's some way that this is speaking to us about the truth and the work and the glory of Jesus Christ. So here's how I do this. I'll read the chapter and then I'll read it again because I'm dumb. I'm, I'm just slow. I just read it once. I'm like, what was that? And so I'll read it again, maybe again, maybe another time until I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm getting what's being said here. And then I just sit with it. I just sit with it. I start thinking about these very things. Gosh, what's cool about this? Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's crystal clear. That's concrete. And well, I'm, I'm convicted by that. And wow, look what it says about Jesus there. He's the one who saves us from the wrath to come. That's the end of chapter one. And then... I journal those things because when I journal them, it helps me to really think upon them more deeply. So I've, I've sat, I've thought, I've meditated on the word, I've prayed, and then I just start to write it out. Lord, this is so cool in your word. Thank you for revealing that concrete thing to me. Lord, I'm, I'm convicted by this. I know I'm not living that out in my life. I repent of that and I write out that, whatever that sin is. It's gnarly when you write your sins in black and white. It makes it a little more pungent. I repent of it. I ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then I rejoice in Jesus and the gospel and write out how that passage spoke to me about Jesus. So let's do that together this week as a church. That makes sense? Is that helpful to you? Can you do those things? Not hard, huh? Okay, so we'll all be reading through 1 Thessalonians this week. And then when we start it next week, we'll have a good handle on it. Now, Revelation chapter 22, finishing the book. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Go through the end of the chapter. Verse 6 starts with an angel speaking to John. And then Jesus will come in in verse 7 and start to speak. So now we know what's going on. Revelation 22, verse 6. And he, that angel, said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Jesus speaks now and says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, John speaking now, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now a strange verse, and we'll explain it later, verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Now Jesus speaks in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning 
and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And, the, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful book and this great declaration of yours. Behold, I am coming quickly. And our our prayer and response, even so, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us now as a church who just studied the book of Revelation to endeavor with the help of the Holy Spirit to obey these things to be faithful to these things. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the true and faithful one, that all that we've read about this glorious ending, you will bring about by your power for your glory, your faithful Jesus. Please, Holy Spirit, teach us now. Help me to teach and preach in a way that's faithful. Help us to respond in a way that's obedient. We ask it together. In Jesus' name, amen. While the book, even before the text that we got today, has ended gloriously. The book has ended wonderfully. The book is the only ever actually true, original, happily ever after. This is where it all came from. This is the only true, happily ever after. For we read in chapter 21 that there came the new heaven and the new earth. And that the old things, speaking of the things that were wicked and that used to break us and were broken by and the rebellion against God are done away with. And Jesus makes all things new. And the text says in Revelation 21 that God himself will wipe away all of our tears. That there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death and no more pain. All things are brand new. And the new Jerusalem comes and God is with his people and we are with him in unhindered, unfettered relationship. So much so that it's pictured as a world no longer even needing the sun or the moon or the stars for God himself will illumine us. The glory of God is present on earth and we are said in chapter 21, to approach freely the river of living water and that we serve him night and day and that we rule and reign with Christ in his righteous kingdom forever and ever, amen. It really is happily ever after. 
And we believe it. But down in the weeds, in the muck, in the mire of life, amidst the heartaches, the disappointments, the temptations, the injustices, the challenges, the distractions, though we believe it, can sometimes be hard to live it. And so we're reminded by the angel at the end of it all in verse 6, these words are faithful and true. Listen, there's a whole lot in this world that we put stock in, that we listen to, that we tend to, that we allow to form us. But the angel says, these words, this good news about the renewal of all things by Jesus Christ, these words are faithful and true. And Jesus chimes in in verse 16 and says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. He reminds us at the end, this is my word to you. And the book itself declares that these things are sacred. Verses 18 and 19 say, don't add to it. Don't subtract to it. Don't mess with it. Verse 10 said, don't seal it up. Let it be known that Jesus is coming to judge the world in righteousness and that he will establish his kingdom and all that has gone wrong will once and for all be set right. And we need to hear and we need to remember in the difficult days, in the ups and downs, these words are faithful and true. This is what Christ has promised and he's a faithful and true witness. And that these things are to be sacred. They're to be believed in, rested upon. That there is for us in Christ, a different reality, a coming kingdom in its fullness. And all the things that are so wrong about this world are outside of it, not included in it. They no longer exist. We were showed that picture again in verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. That's just a look back to that moment that we saw in Revelation chapter 20 of the great white throne judgment where Christ has finally judged the world in fullness. And those things don't have a place in God's new creation. That ought to cause us to rejoice. Those things of wickedness don't have a place in God's new creation. That there really is coming a day that's different. Things really will be black and white. There really will be an in and an out. You know, our world wants to make it all gray and our world wants to confuse the way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And these things that are in rebellion to me and these things that are rejection of me, they have no place in the kingdom, in the future. And that's good news because that's where death and destruction, slavery, immorality, perversion, injustice, all that humanity suffers from has as its root, this rebellion against God. But what the book of Revelation has showed us is in the midst of that rebellion, God is always offering the invitation. 
It's not void in the last chapter either. There is the invitation into new creation through the forgiveness of sins. Did you see it there in verses 14 and 17? Blessed are those who wash their robes. The idea there is our sins having been washed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Revelation chapter 7 speaks of washing our robes in the blood of Christ. Imagery to speak of our sins being forgiven. Blessed are those who have washed their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the one who gives us life. All the sorcerers, all the immoral, the dogs, so to speak, those who practice lying, they're all invited in. Should they reject the king of the kingdom in the way of forgiveness, then in the day of the kingdom, they're on the outside, but they've all been invited in. Listen to the invitation. And let the one who is thirsty come. Thirsting because sin has left us empty. Because our own way has left us empty. Because rebellion has led us astray. That deep thirst within us for righteousness, for God, for knowing God and being known by God, that for which we were created is restored in the end through the invitation. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes, all who will come to Jesus, take the water of life without cost, eternal life. And that is why the book of Revelation is so important because the book of Revelation lays out Truth and error, black and white, rebellion and consequence in clear, difficult terms. We've seen in the book of Revelation, the wrath of God. That these things really will be dealt with. Because God is love, he will really judge the world. Because God is love, he will really renew the world. And the book of Revelation lays that out in terms like no other book in the book of the Bible. So again, in verse 10, the angel said to to John, don't seal it up, let it be known. Let the churches hear, let the world hear. Remember Daniel, Daniel chapter seven, it was told, seal it up, it's gonna be a while. Now it's, the time has come. Let the world know the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation has been. The first verse in the first chapter says that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. People like to make it about the Antichrist or the beast or the false prophet or the hailstones or the fire or all these other things. And that's a part of it, but it's not the main part. The book is a revelation of Jesus Christ who stands in the first chapter in all of his resurrected glory who comes to a church who is suffering under injustice and oppression and persecution and says to them, don't worry, I have the keys of death and Hades. The world seems out of control. I'm in control. He speaks to them in chapters two and three and says to a troubled, struggling church, hold on. Repent of your errors. Cling to the truth. And follow me all the way to the end, Jesus says to the churches in chapter two and three. Follow me all the way to the end. 
And knowing how hard that will be for us at times, he opens up heaven to us in chapters 4 and 5. And he shows us the glory of heaven and Christ there on the throne, ruling and reigning so that we might remember that even though the world often feels out of control, there is one who is in control. Part of his control is that he'll judge sin in the world. And in chapter 6, his judgment and justice and wrath begin to come. Excuse me. It's not pretty. It's difficult. It's just. It's right. It's needed for the world. There can be no renewal without dealing with those things, but that's tough ground. And then we see this glorious light breaking through in Revelation chapter 12, where we have the devil waging war against God, and he's defeated. But then in Revelation chapter 13, the beast, the Antichrist, comes up from the sea, and there's a false prophet. And then Jesus returns in Revelation 19, and he manhandles all of them. Chapter 20, he throws the devil in the abyss and seals it over and We are resurrected there with him to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. And at the great white throne judgment, he deals with even death and abolishes it. Every last enemy. And then he brings in chapters 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth. All of this is to say very simply, Jesus is the only true savior of the world. Come on, church. All of this is to say that Jesus is the only true savior of the world who will right all things even though so much has gone wrong. The whole of the book is about him. It just talks about Jesus from beginning to end. We're told that he's the faithful witness. Here it comes. The firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loves us, the one who released us from our sins. He's said to be the one who made us a kingdom of priests. He's the one who is coming with the clouds. He's the first and the last. He's the living one. He's the one who holds the keys to death in Hades. He's the one who walks among the churches. He's the one who has a sharp two-edged sword and the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. And that's just chapter one. He's the one who is holy, the one who is true, the one who has the key of David, the one who opens doors and no one can shut and shuts doors no one can open. He's called the amen and the faithful and true witness. He's called the beginning of the creation of God, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David that has overcome and the Lamb of God. He is said to be the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron, the Lamb that stands on Mount Zion, the one who wears the golden crowns, the one who holds the sharp sickle. He's a bridegroom of the church, the faithful and true, the Word of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the temple of God and the lamp of God. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last the beginning and the end. He is the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the one who is coming quickly. This is Jesus. Now, if we didn't get that from the book of Revelation, we missed it, brothers and sisters. The whole book is about him. And it ends here in chapter 22 with him saying, behold, I am coming quickly. These words are faithful and true. 
Behold, I am coming quickly. He said it in verse 7. I am coming quickly. He said it again in verse 10. Excuse me. In verse whatever it is, 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. And again in verse 20. I am coming quickly. Three times in the closing verses, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And it says in the text, the time is near. What he's saying to the church is that we are to live in such a posture as though Christ were coming at any moment. That's where the book ends. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say this. Hey, forget about it. Go about your business. Do what you want to do. It's going to be a while. It sets us in a different pose, a different posture. He says, I'm coming quickly. We see that strange verse in verse 11, which is poetic language for listen. It's now. Today is the day. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy speaking morally still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. It's not saying there's no room to repent. It's saying now is the time to repent. Today is the day of salvation. Now's the time to hear the word of the Lord. The will of God is that his church would live in expectation of the coming king with the coming kingdom. And so how we see God's people responding in the text is by saying, well then, come. Right, verse 17, it says, and the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And then in verse 20, John responds after Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly and says, amen, come Lord Jesus. And that's how the book ends, with that prayer with that desire, come Lord Jesus. And we say it, I see all of you shaking your heads, yes, come Lord Jesus. We sing it in songs, but what does it mean to really pray, come Lord Jesus? What are are we saying when we say that? Come Lord Jesus. What expectation? How does it form our lives? I think Jesus gave us a clue in verse seven. Verse seven, when he said, and behold, I am coming quickly. He said, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I'm coming quickly, so I'm coming quickly. Here's how you respond. I'm coming quickly. You're blessed if you heed the words of this book. I'm coming quickly, so obey what you've heard. This good news about the king who's coming to deal with sin. He's coming quickly, so obey the words of the book. What is it to say, come Lord Jesus? It's to pray the same thing that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on heaven as it is on earth. It's to say the same thing that Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane to the father when he struggled with the reality of the cross. Nevertheless, father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. To say, come Lord Jesus, is for the Christian to say, I want your desires to be done in my life. It's not something that we stand back from and say, yeah, Jesus, come and deal with the world. It's something that we step into. Come Lord Jesus, thy will be done in my life. So what what does that look like? Well, Jesus is coming as the king of righteousness. So to say, come Lord Jesus, is to live 
into righteousness. I mean, doesn't it mean to pursue righteousness? If he's coming as a king of righteousness and he's a king of us, he's a king of the Christians, then the Christian's endeavor is to press into, live into, and live out righteousness. Right? If he's coming to deal with sin, then for the Christian to say, come Lord Jesus, as a prayer for our lives right now, is to begin to forsake sin. Right? He's coming as a judge who's going to deal with sin. It's going to be black and white. He's, he's really going to deal with these things. So the, so the stance of the Christian who's praying, come Lord Jesus, is a stance of wanting to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, move away from sin and toward righteousness and obeying Christ. To pray, come Lord Jesus, is to want to move away from the things that he comes to judge. Let's just be honest. The very things that Christ is coming to deal with are the very things that we often flirt with, find ways to engage with, make excuses for. But remember, dear brothers and sisters, the kingdom is not only coming, the kingdom has come, right? The kingdom is not only in the future, the kingdom is present by Christ in us. And so the call on the children of the kingdom is to live into the truth of the king. He's coming to judge sin. He's shown us in the book of Revelation how wicked it is, and so we move away from sin. He's coming to establish righteousness, and so we move toward righteousness. That's how the book ends. It ends with us saying, Come, Lord Jesus. And I love how it has us in verse 17 saying it not by ourselves, but with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? The Spirit and the bride say, Come, because we're never alone in the struggle. God has given us his spirit. His spirit is with us. His spirit is in us and his spirit comes upon us to obey this prayer, to live into this prayer of come Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say come. Galatians chapter five tells us, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. That's good news for us. This prayer is wonderful news. This posture, this stance of come Lord Jesus is good news for our lives. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the cross, we can grow in sanctification, move away from sin, move toward righteousness, being transformed by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is to say and to sing and to believe, come Lord Jesus. And he says, I am coming quickly. Now, we all know it ain't quick. It's been almost 2,000 years since he said it. And I don't know about your scale, but that's not quick on my scale. (laughs) Compared to Google, that's bad. That's not microwave speed, that's slow. And so the word of God says through Peter the apostle, don't count God's patience as slowness. But he desires that none would perish but come to everlasting life. See, on our time scale, it's been too long. On God's time scale, he wants every man, woman, and child to be saved. It's not slow. He's patient. Isn't that what we've seen in the book of Revelation? I mean, that's why there were so many chapters of wrath. God didn't just show up and say, boom, it's all done right now. Patient, 
progressive, always leaving room for repentance. So we live in the tension of from God's perspective of, hey, I'm coming quickly. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now is the time to follow after him. And Jesus, I've been following for so long, Lord. We live in that tension. But there is a task in the tension. No, there is a task in the tension. Lord, why has it been so long? He desires that none would perish, but all would be saved. And so he left us with a role in that task, Matthew 28. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus is in the business of saving people. And he's invited us into that business. Why hasn't he come yet? Not enough people have been saved. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about this. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, now here's the tension, okay? We've read through the book of Revelation. We've studied the book of Revelation. We've seen the end, the happily ever after, and we want it. We want the renewal of all things. And Jesus leaves us with this promise, behold, I am coming quickly, but it's been a long time. And we are there with the Spirit saying, come, Jesus, come. And in that meanwhile, The Spirit is not only conforming us into the image of Christ, but the Spirit is propelling us into the mission of Christ. What does it mean to pray, come Lord Jesus, but to be engaged in his mission of saving people, of the gospel going to the nations? There's the rub, man. That's a tough one to get around. The gospel will be be preached as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. There's something that's got to happen beforehand. So to be a faithful church, to be a faithful Christian, to pray with the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, is to be engaged to the reaching of the nations. I mean, do you, do you see that? Are you guys there? Okay. Do, do, do you see that? To say, come Lord Jesus, is not only to be more conformed to the image of Christ, but to go in the mission of Christ to make disciples of all the nations. Now, this is called the Great Commission. And this is a call upon every single Christian go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. It does not mean that we will necessarily all go to another nation. I hope it does for many of us. But it does mean that there is some cognizant, purposeful engagement in the gospel going to the nations. It's a call to live for something bigger than ourselves. It's a call outside of our microcosm. It's a call outside of our myopic life vision. It's a call to be part of God's passionate work of saving people for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so to some degree, to endeavor to obey Jesus, blessed is he who heeds, obeys the words of this book, is to be in some way engaged in the work of reaching the nations, the nations. Excuse me. And we can't delegate it. I, I love delegating. I love delegating. 
I've been delegating yard work to my son. I delegate things. I love delegating. We're never told that we get to delegate the Great Commission. We're told that some will go and some will send. How shall they hear? Unless they have a preacher, how shall they preach? Unless they are sent. Right? There's people who are going and there's people who are sending. And we're all engaged in this work together. Cognizantly, we've got to think about what does it mean to obey Jesus in the last days? The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Now, that's, that's a challenge. That's a challenge for a church. Right? We can't just be about where we live. We've got to be about God's work in the nations. We endeavor to do that as a church. That's a challenge for an individual. How do I engage in that? How do you engage in that? There's good news about this work of the kingdom. There's very real data that makes me think we are very near the end. Did you know, this is good news, this is going to make you happy. Did you know that more people have become Christians in the last 100 years, since 1900, 100 plus years, than in all the previous centuries combined? Okay, now we're talking. There are more people alive today that are called by the name Christian than all the previous generations combined. At the time that this book, the book of Revelation was written, there was one professing Christian for every 360 people in the world. Pretty outnumbered. At the time of the writing of the book, now there is one professing Christian for every nine people in the world. This is real progress. Let me show you how it looks for even our generation. Okay? I'm going to draw a little thing up here. This is a, uh, I don't know, a graph type thing or something like that. I'm a surfer. I don't know this stuff. This is the year 1900 over there. Okay? Here is now. And then we'll put a line of demarcation. Okay? We'll put it right here. And that's the 70s. I'll put 1972 because that's when I was born. (laughs) Tough year for some of you, I know. (laughs) This line right here equals 2% of the world's population. It took 1,800 years after the command of the Great Commission, after the book of Revelation, it took 1,800 years for the church to grow to be about 2% of the world's population. That's where it was in 1900. 1900, things begin to happen. People begin to go to the nations preaching the gospel with an unprecedented fervency and obedience. More and more people engaging in this call of the Great Commission. So it began to grow rather quickly in the first 50 to 70 years of the 1900s. And then something incredible happened in the 70s. I don't know what it was, man. I was just a baby. But here's the way that the growth happened. It just started to go off the charts in the last 40 years or so. Do you know what that means? That means that God is moving in our generation in an unprecedented way. That means that this command is within reach in our lifetime. That the gospel would go to all the world. In 1976, 
People got together and said, okay, how big is this task? How many people group are still, people groups are still unreached? And they determined there's about 17,000 people groups unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means they didn't have missionaries among them. They didn't have church plants among them. They didn't have the word of God in their language. 17,000. The end coming quickly seemed pretty far. Today, there's less than 8,000. I mean, it's getting done. We're doing it as the church. We're doing it. In the year that the book of Revelation was written, there was one church in the world for every 12 people groups in the world. So that was a big task, right? Like, we're a little local church. We're going to reach 12 different nations. Today, there is 1,000 churches for every one people group in the world. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Christ is coming quickly. But we have been given a task to live out in the tension. And we would be remiss if we didn't say that to pray the prayer of Revelation 22, come Lord Jesus, doesn't mean at least engaging in the work to the nations. More of us need to go. More of us need to go. Some of you today, I believe, are going to hear the Spirit say, you, go. More of us need to contribute. More of us need to send. More of us need to regularly engage in prayer by praying what the Lord taught us to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. It's white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. If the book of Revelation doesn't increase our heart for the nations and the work of taking the gospel to the nations, then brothers and sisters, we've, we've missed it. I mean, that is the explicit goal given to us in Revelation chapter 7. Back up, sorry, I'm out of order. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of a party and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's the goal. Because God loves people. And people rebelled. And God sent a savior, his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus died to pay the price for our sins on the cross. And Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the church and formed a people to be his witnesses in the world. And Jesus ascended and is ruling and reigning, bringing all things to pass to the day when he will return and establish his kingdom and righteousness. And there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And I'm telling you, the day looks nearer now than it ever has. This gospel shall be preached as a witness to the whole world, to every nation, and then the end will come. So let me just be crude, not crude, I don't know. Let me just be in your face and say this. What are you going to do about it? Don't delegate it. 
It's not enough to say, oh, the Russells are in Tanzania. Oh, the Dicks are in South America. Oh, the Simpsons are in Ethiopia. Oh, our church is sending people. And once in a while, I put a buck or two in the coffer and, and we're good. Now, what are you going to do about it? How can you just engage? Maybe you just begin to pray, Lord, send laborers into your harvest. Maybe you begin to adopt some missionaries. Maybe you get more involved in the missions at the church. Maybe you and your kids sit down at the dinner table and you spin a globe and you pick a nation and you start to pray for the witness of the gospel in that nation. Maybe you read some biographies of great missionaries. Maybe when our missionaries come in town, you open up your home and you have them over for a meal. Maybe you go to some place where men and women have never heard the good news, but I'm telling you, as your friend and as your pastor, you can't do nothing. Look what Jesus said in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. That's not judgment for sin language. That's already done by this chapter. That's reward for faithfulness language. You understand the New Testament tells us that as Christians there's coming a day when we'll stand before Jesus and we'll give an answer for what we've done with the task in the tension, with the gospel going forth. Where we live, it's very important. You're here now, so be about that now, but be about the rest of the world too. For God so loved the world. We thought he only loved Carpentry of Ventura, but he loves the whole world. And we'll give an answer. And let me be honest. Here's my ulterior motive. I want to stand before Jesus on that day. And I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's given me a task. I want to hear well done. Along the way, there's going to be hardships. It's going to be challenges. It's going to cost. You know, Peter recognized that. And Peter came to Jesus in the Gospels and said, Jesus, I've left everything to follow you. What's in it for me? And we think, gosh, Peter, you're so stupid. But we all ask that question. Jesus didn't shy away from it. He said, Peter, nobody has left anything for my namesake or for the gospel that they will not receive back 100-fold in the life to come. The salient point is you will never regret pouring your life out for the gospel of Jesus Christ and his work. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. He said this in light of the coming of the Lord. Be strong and immovable, steadfast and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. There's some other stuff we do that's useless. But nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Live your lives. Get married, have kids, go to parties, go surfing, go travel, buy things, have fun, but don't let those be the main thing that obscures the call to live out the task and the tension of, behold, I am coming quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Every Christian is called to be engaged in the work of God. Be steadfast and movable. 
always working enthusiastically for the Lord. What are you going to do? Let's be the kind of church that lovingly pushes each other a little bit. You ever get in a little pushy match with a buddy? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? No, you do it. You do it. You tell her. You tell her. Let's push each other a little bit. What are you going to do about the nations? What are you going to do, Pastor Britt? What are you going to do? I want to get to the end of my life and have obeyed the call. Actually, I want to see Jesus come back in my lifetime. So let's get busy, amen? Spirit that you would call. I believe these things are true, but I never want to be, Lord, the messenger who's coercive or heavy-handed, though I can be, or elicits an emotional response. I just want to tell the truth. I want to tell it in a way that's compelling, and then I want to trust your Holy Spirit to move your people. So Holy Spirit, help us to say with you, come, Lord Jesus. Help us to begin to pursue righteousness and obedience because Christ, you're the righteous judge who's coming to deal with sin. And help us to be engaged in your work around the world for you love the world. And God, you've given us a savior in Christ. Thank you, Lord. And we who are the redeemed say thank you, Lord. And now as we kind of linger in your presence, Lord, and think upon these truths and praise you and thank you, speak to us, Spirit, about our own lives. You're our king. You tell us what to do. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.